I'm Stephen Fonsi. Seth Goldberg joining us from back home in New Jersey the next couple of days. And we've got some catching up to do following our summer hiatus. So give us a call, 315-437-7644 ESPN44. If you'd like to get involved, a couple of guests lined up for you today. Well-known sports broadcaster and SU alum Seth Everett will be here in studio in about 15 minutes from now. We'll talk some baseball with Seth. We'll talk some football with Seth, plus He's going to fill us in on his new role with us here at ESPN Radio. Then at 1.15, we'll hear from Eric Dungy as camp continues for the Orange. The season opener, believe it or not, set for three weeks from this Friday on the road at Western Michigan. And with that, I welcome in my partner, Seth Goldberg. Seth, uh, it's great to be back on the air. hope I didn't forget how to do this. Are, are you, uh, <laughs> you ready to get back at it? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back at it. It's been a, a long summer, so it seems, but uh, hey, I'm excited about it. Yeah, a lot to get to on today's show, and again, we can touch on some of those topics that we missed uh, during our two-month summer hiatus. Baseball on the table as well, uh, the race in the American League East, not much of a race anymore. The Red Sox completing a four-game sweep of the Yankees last night with that dramatic uh, ninth-inning rally, then winning it in ten innings. Yanks now trail by nine-and-a-half games in the East. We can certainly get to that. But, of course, we have to begin with SU football. And, Seth, as, as you know, I spent a, a portion of yesterday uh, traveling back to Syracuse from Nashville, and I was uh, reading various college football publications uh, in the airport while I was waiting to board the plane. And many of them see the Orange as a team that's on the verge of turning the corner year three under Dino Babers Eric Dungy back as the starting quarterback we all know the storylines by now you buying that Seth is is this the season that SU returns to a bowl game you know I think that's going to be the question right that is going to be the question as as we go through this season this is the goal right get to a bowl game and and you know I was reading the Phil Steele magazine and it's funny because in the Phil Steele magazine, for each team, they put their last five ball games. And so you look at Syracuse's last five ball games. It's like, all right, the Texas Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl. And like the last one on that goes all the way to, you know, 2001. Like, you know, the bowl history just isn't there. I think that when you, you look at Syracuse, um, the mold that I'm going to take, and, and fair or not, the mold that I'm going to look at um, is Art Bryles at Baylor. Right. I mean, he took over a program that was done. Right. It was over. It was a terrible program. Um, instilled a lot of, you know, the the football X's and O's stuff that Dino is. And year one, four and eight. Year two, four and eight. Year three, they went six and six. They got back to a bowl game. Now, is that a model you can follow up here? Maybe. And, and why not? And Dino Babers has shown us, Seth, uh, over the course of his coaching career that he is able to win and, and win rather quickly. And you would think, looking at year three, all right, his track record says, you know, this is when he's going to turn it around. And I, and I get all that. I look back, you know, you look back at the bowl history going back to 2001, which was the last legitimate, really good team here at Syracuse. I go back just the, the last four years since their last bowl yes. game, right? And you go in 2014, Syracuse goes 3-9. and nine. 
2015, four and eight. Scott Schaefer out the door. In comes Dino Babers. Four and eight in 2016, four and eight in 2017. I do think the product on the field is getting better. We've talked about this quite a bit, certainly at the end of last year. We said, all right, they seem to be improving. They've, you know, they're dealing with injuries again. Dungy's out. You know, let, let's see what happens next year. And it, it seems like every year we're talking about that. Let's see what happens next year. You know, the recruits will be a year older and a year better. And, you know, everybody will grow up a little bit. This was the year we were pointing to, right, when Dino Babers took over. Said, well, Dungy's going to yeah. be a senior. It'll be his third year, you know, in that, that system. The recruits that Dino Babers brought in early on, you know, they're going to be sophomores, in some cases juniors. They, they're going to have some experience under their belts. This is going to be the year when they get back to a bowl game. And, and I, I want to believe that. Like, I, I want to believe that this is the year that they get to six wins or seven wins and, and get back to a bowl game. I just look at the past history and I say, I, I don't, I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I am. I'm skeptical. And last year, LSU was on the schedule. This year, it's Notre Dame. You know, last year, Middle Tennessee State was on the schedule. It was one of those dangerous games. Central right. Michigan, or Western Michigan, rather, has the, has the potential to be one of those dangerous games. The ACC is very similar to the way it was last year. Syracuse is picked to finish dead last in the conference. So I want to believe that this is a six-win team and a bowl team. I'm, I'm skeptical, though, and I'm, I'm having a hard time buying in. When you look at all the, the departures and Ishmael right. gone and Phillips gone and the entire linebacking core gone and... and Tell me why I should believe. Well, it's tough, uh, right? I mean, it's tough. And, and I think that when we when Dino Babers came in and said week three, week four, week five of year two, I think everybody was skeptical, right? And we kept asking him. We kept giving opportunities to get out of that time frame um, only to have it reinforced. And, you know, I, I think that now as you go into year three, to your point, you know, um, it, it seems like this has to be the year. Um, what I will look at is I look at the recruits, and I don't know if we noticed at the time um, just how big a hole the program was in, right? Like, I, I don't know that we realized – how low the program had gotten, how how devoid of, of certain talent and, and talent at certain areas this program had gotten uh, before Dino Babers took over. And I think that the player they are bringing in now is fundamentally different than the player they were bringing in under Scott Schaefer, under Doug Marone. And, like, let's be realistic, it had to be, right? Doug Marone and Scott Schaefer came to Syracuse playing in the Big East. And it's just, like, fundamentally a different style of football. So I think that Dino Babers had to bring in a lot more players than maybe we thought. And I think that you're now to that point where he's got three recruiting cycles under his belt, where he's got a lot of guys that he wanted to bring in, where, you know what, I, I think that it's time. I think that, um, you know, seeing these guys mature, you know, it's it's time to see these guys play, get on the field, and, and run the system the, the way they want. You know, perfect example, and I'm sure that over the next month we'll talk about this as a negative, because don't get me wrong, it is, but you lose Paris Bennett, Zaire Franklin, and to an extent Jonathan Thomas, you know, those three guys, as great as they were, as productive as they were, and, you know, at one of the practices last week, Stephen Bailey was telling me they racked up, uh, Bennett and Zaire racked up 25% of the Syracuse tackles over the last two years, which is just an absurd number. But, you know, as productive as they were, they probably weren't great fits for that scheme, right? So maybe now, even though they aren't getting players who are as productive or four-year starters like Zaire Franklin was, Maybe they fit better in what Syracuse wants to do. I'll go to the other side of the ball, Seth, and I look at 194 catches, 2,200 uh, 2, yards, 11 touchdowns. Th those were the numbers combined for Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips. And I, I look at, you know, Devin Butler, Nikeem Johnson. They, they have some, some pass catchers, Ravion Pierce. 
Do yep. we expect those guys, though, to be able to pick up the slack for 2,200 yards, 11 touchdowns, and almost 200 catches between them? That that, that concerns me. So I agree that the, the caliber of player in this program is getting better. And as you said, you know, there were some holdovers from you know the, the past regime, and, and, and it's a different athlete now, and maybe Zaire Franklin wasn't the best fit for the defense, and you know Steve Ishmael was a Scott Schaefer guy, and, and so on and so forth. But do we expect that this current wide receiving core is going to be able to, you know, put up those kind of fill in for that production that they will be missing from a year ago? Yes, I mean yes, I, I do. I, I think they will. And and this is a really simplistic look at it. Um, but we've seen now for two years. We saw for two years before that at Bowling Green. We saw for two years before that at Eastern Illinois, and for time before that at Baylor. This offense is going to put up a certain number of yards. Right, like this offense is just going to put up a certain number of yards, and Eric Dungy, if healthy, or whoever is playing quarterback over the course of the season, you're going to pass for thirty-five hundred to four thousand yards. You're going to gain somewhere around six thousand yards of offense over a twelve-game season. So somebody's going to do it, right? Like somebody's going to catch the ball. Somebody's going to run the ball. It might be Eric Dungy running the ball. It might be Mo Neal running the ball. It might be Dante Strickland. We don't know. Somebody's going to be there, and. You know, I, I think that the, the perfect case is, is year one here at Syracuse, right? Where somebody was going to catch the ball. We didn't know who was going to catch the ball. It turned out to be Amba Etatawa, right? Like, and, and so, okay, you go to year two, the guy who you expect, Steve Ishmael, steps up, or Phillips steps up. All right, who's going to be this year? Is Jamal Custis finally going to be that guy? Is he going to play on the inside like they talked about and played in the spring? And, and I talked to him last week about it a lot, um, you know, where he plays – Inside, he's getting mismatches against linebackers, mismatches against safety. Is he a guy who can go off? I don't know. You know, is Devin Butler going to catch consistently? Maybe. Or is somebody else going to stand out? Like, I, I think we'll see somebody um, just as a product of the offense. It's, it's a system, All right? right? So, I mean, so the system's the star. And, and so that's my question to you. Do you see a somebody emerging like an Abed Atawo, Steve Ishmael, Slasher, Phillips, uh, one or two guys just emerging as the go-to guy? Or do you think it's going to be you know, by committee, that it's just going to be the offense and they're going to spread it around to five or six different guys and they're just going to – because I agree with you. The yards are going to be there. The points are going to be there. I get all that. But I I have to think Ahmed Atawa is a special player, right? I have to think that, you know, Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips, they're, they're special talents. Do they have that – that talent in the program right now that will emerge and and be that go-to guy, or is it going to be by committee? I I mean, I think somebody's going to emerge. To the same extent, probably not. But somebody's going to emerge as a lead target. I think your three best candidates, and I'm not going to be able to pick out one, uh, you know, just based off playing time last year, I think Ravion Pierce, I think he's going to have a big offensive year and, and could be a really big target. I think Custis, because of the switch to the inside, could be a really big key also. Um, obviously, that depends on health. He's had a you know a, a number of injuries over the last couple of years. And I think Devin Butler, I mean, we saw him play last year, right? Like, we, we saw him on the field. So I would have to guess that those three guys are going to get the first shot. Maybe not the longest, but they're going to they're get the first go of it, right? Like, I, I would think that they'll be the top three receivers in that Friday night game at, at uh, Western Michigan. I think Custis and Pierce in particular, and you alluded to it a, a moment ago, Seth, about the, the matchup problems that those guys can create with their size. And, you know, you know that Sal Manin was high on Jamal Custis the moment he walked Loved in the door, him. and he, he, hasn't, he hasn't emerged, you know, he hasn't reached that potential, I guess, yet. You know, Dino Babers said last week, he said two and a half years ago when I showed up here, Jamal Custis was the best receiver in camp. 
I mean, he said that. And and so, you know, that, that was a camp that had Amba Edetalo in it. That was a camp that had Steve Ishmael and her Phillips and Bruce Lee Esteem. And Dino Babers said Jamal Custis was the best wide receiver they had in camp that summer. Now, is he uh, using hyperbole? Is he is he blowing smoke? I don't know. But, you know, if, if he really was, let's see what that... You know, let's see what that brings. Let's see, you know, the, the, the benefit of that. And we haven't seen that yet. You know, maybe that's something that's coming this year if he can stay healthy and if he can stay on the field, which has been a problem the last three seasons. I, I feel like we say that a lot uh, with this team, Seth, if he can stay healthy. And, yes. You know, insert player X here, whether it's, you know, Dungy or Custis or Antoine Cordy or, you know, on down the list. It's, it's if these guys can stay healthy. If this team collectively stays healthy, I could see them getting to six wins, but that is a huge if when you look at the track record from the past several seasons. Do you have the same question at the quarterback position now, given what's behind Dungy, though? No. Like, like if, that if is Eric Dungy a, that gets is a healthy, big difference. That is a if, big difference this year than, than in past years. Right. Like, if Eric Dungy gets hurt, it might not be debilitating, right? Like, that might not kill you if he gets hurt. It certainly it, it might hurt because he's, you know, played in this system now going on three years, but... It, it it might not kill you the way it did to to play Rex Culpepper, to play Zach Mahoney, to play Austin Wilson. You know the last couple of years, and, and that's a fair point. And I and I get that, and I completely agree with you. That is a difference, but. Eric Dungy is your starting quarterback on this team. He is your, your leader on the offensive side. And, you know, Antoine Cordy, we've seen him now have injuries back-to-back seasons that, that cut his years uh, short. He is he is going to be the, the leader on the defense, at least one of those leaders. And those two guys have had injury concerns the last several years. If they stay healthy, by and large, and again, you could say, well, if Cordy goes down, you know, they've got guys behind him. That is true. But Antoine Cordy and Eric Dungy are your leaders. You need them on the field. I'm really interested to see Cordy's new role. I'm really interested to see him play the nickel more, play, the, play that nickel more regularly um, as a part of this 4-2-5. That'll be interesting to watch. All right, Seth, we got to take a timeout. 315-437-7644. When we return, Seth Everett will join us here in studio. Back after this on the return of Orange Nation. Throw to the end zone. It's caught. A diving reception with a touchdown. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio. You know how to get in touch with us, 315-437-7644-ESPN44 if you like to get involved. As we continue the SU football talk, we'll hear from Eric Dungy coming up in about 10 minutes or so uh, from now. And, and so, Seth, let's begin hour number two right there with Eric Dungy. And I know that we've heard so much about Tommy DeVito and, and fans are anxious to see what he can do in a game situation. I think we're all anxious to see what this kid can do. We've heard so much about him um, you know, coming out of high school, and, and, and he sounds like the real deal. But that may have to wait a season. I mean, we may see him a little bit this year, but if this team is, is going to get to a bowl game and you know, win six, seven games and beyond, it's with Eric Dungy as the starter. Yes, I mean, there is... In my opinion, there is not a quarterback competition right now. I know that the coaches will say that you know everybody spots up for grabs and, and so on and so forth, but there's not a quarterback competition, is there? 
No, no, I don't think so. Um, and and I think that we're all anxious to see Eric Dunge, uh, to see Tommy DeVito. Like we all want to see him, we all want to talk to him, right? I know, I know, us in the media want to talk to him and see him more. Um, but you know, th- there's a reason why they're keeping him under wraps, and they clearly like him. But I don't think there is a, a quarterback controversy. I don't think so. Certainly at this point, um, you know, talk to me after two games. Talk to me after three games. And maybe I'll think a little bit differently. Um, you know, I, I know Steve. I, I outlined to you in the break and, and over the summer uh, the, the Drew out, the, the Drew Allen uh, plan and, and how he lost the job three games into the season. And could something like that happen? I, I mean, maybe, but I, I don't see it happening. Not given this offense. Not given Eric Dungy's familiarity with this offense. I'd be surprised if Eric Dungy uh, were not starting if he'd he- if he's healthy. Like I'd be. Really, really surprised if he's not starting. The only way that I see Eric Dungy losing his job this year is if, let's say, coming out of the Louisville game towards the end of the year, 10 games in, let's say they're 3-7, and seven, and they're not going to a bowl game. Could I see then, potentially, you know, Eric Dungy want and, and again, I'm saying aside from an injury reason, like the only way that I think he would not be the starter, aside from an injury, would be if... This team's not going to go to a bowl game. Say they're three and seven. They got two games left. You know, Dungy wants to preserve himself for for the next step of his career. And you know, Dino Babers and the coaching staff decides, hey, we want to see what Tommy DeVito can do. We want to give him some real reps against real competition. You know, moving into next year, and that would be you know Notre Dame and BC left on the schedule. A scenario like that. I don't even think three games in. Even if even if he struggles, I don't think three games in they would well, pull the cord on a, on a guy that you know that's the, you know a three year starter with with this system and a four-year starter overall. Yeah, I don't I don't think that he will struggle, right? Like, I, I think that it's a very different scenario, and I only bring up the Drew Allen thing uh, because of the recency, but look at the offense he was playing in and look at the offense that Eric Dungy's playing in. Um, it's going to be really hard for Dungy to look that bad, right? Like, it, like just based on this system, it's going to be hard to struggle. It's going to be hard, uh, you know, to, to, to struggle for him uh, because of his, you know, let's, let's face it, because of his mastery over this system. He's going to be the first quarterback to get three years in it. In how long? With that, with Dino Babers. Like, he's got this down, I would think, to a level that you know most of Dino Babers' quarterbacks haven't gotten. I said this before the start of the basketball season uh, last fall going into the winter. I said that if, if Syracuse basketball is going to achieve its goals, Frank Howard has to have a really good year. Like, if Frank Howard is not the starting point guard at the end of the year, something went terribly wrong, whether it was an injury to Frank Howard or if he was ineffective and he got replaced. And, and at that time, you know, if you remember, Seth, we were talking about, you know, is Gino, Gino Thorpe, Thorpe going to – and I said, no. Like, Gino Thorpe or no Gino Thorpe on this team, like, Frank Howard better be the starting point guard or something went terribly wrong. And I feel the same way. And I know Tommy DeVito's there waiting in the wings. I feel the same way, though, about the quarterback position in this football team. If Syracuse football is to achieve its goals this year, and that is, you know, we're putting the goals out there as six wins in a bowl game. If Syracuse football is going to get six wins and in, to a bowl game this year, Eric Dungy better be the starting quarterback at the end of the year, in my opinion. And again, nothing against Tommy DeVito. You know, he has the ability, it sounds like, and the potential to be very, very good in this program and in this system, but... Dungy's done it for four years, now three years with Dino Babers. If if he is the starting quarterback the entire year, I, I think this team has a really good chance to get to a bowl game. But that is a big if because he has yet to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think that if, if they're going to be their best, it's going to be with Eric Dungy this year. 
You know, that, that's not to say Tommy DeVito what? can't be really good and can't have really great seasons or, or a season, you know, coming up uh, after this. But I think this year, for them to be their best, they need Eric Dungey. To that point, you know, Dino Babers said last week, um, you know, practice counts for something. And, yeah, they only have game – they don't have any game tape on DeVito, and they have game tape on Dungey, and, and that matters. Um but Dino did say practice counts for something. So, uh, you know, take that for what you will. But it, it certainly seems like he's impressing enough to get a look, you know, as, as we head closer to the season. And you know what? Don't, you know, not that this factors in for him la- this year, but uh, you think that Dino wouldn't have liked to have that redshirt rule last year so oh, that he could have played Tommy absolutely. DeVito? And that's you know, one he, thing that we actually sure missed. Would've. That's one thing we missed over the summer that I'm sure we will get to at some point. But the new rule that's in effect for for college football programs, and they can you know they can play a red shirt for for four games and and kind of get a you know get some experience and and get a look at them, and it does not count uh, against their their college eligibility. Love the new rule. You and I will get to that uh, at some point. In regards to Dungy, I said that you know he's got to be the starting quarterback for this team to achieve its goals. I think I'm going to take it one step further. If he leads this team in rushing again, I think that's a bad sign. And we saw, again, last year, even only playing nine games, he was the leading rusher on this team. If that is the case again in 2018, I, I think that that is major cause for concern. As good as he is running the football, you you want to be able to get something out of Mo Neal and Dante Strickland, and, and by something, I mean more than what your starting quarterback is getting you in the in the ground game. Agree? Yeah, I'm— uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things. And, and I know we talked about the running game as being a big deal last year, and it wasn't there. You know, they need Dante Strickland and Mo Neal or, or anybody else. I don't know if there's somebody else that they think can can break out, but it seems to be those two. They need them to show up. They need them uh, to have big years. And I think a big case, uh, a big piece of that is going to be their offensive line, right? We know their offensive line um struggled a lot last year but this year they've got what six seven guys who have meaningful playing time including Coda Martin who played at Texas A&M uh you know they, they've got six seven guys who have meaningful playing time and meaningful snaps uh under their belt um on this roster on the offensive line that unit that unit should be better that unit needs to be better 315-437-7644 we're going to take another time out when we return we'll hear from the starting quarterback of the orange eric dungy coming up next keep it here you're listening to orange nation on espn radio our take on the day's top stories it's today's business on orange nation all right, we're back on Orange Nation. Stephen Seth with you up until 2 o'clock as we welcome in our producer, Max Burgandy. And before we get to like today's business, today, today, we've got some catching up to do. I mean, we missed two months. We've been off the air since I think June 1st was our last show. So we missed quite a bit. Um, let's start with, I think we would all agree, the biggest sports story from the summer relating to the NBA and by the way, Max, how are you? It's good to see you I'm again. great. How are you? Good. You ready to get back at it? Oh, yeah. It's good to be back. All Definitely right. good so, to be back. I, I think we would all agree, yes, biggest story was was the NBA. and, and Well, yeah, because we missed the whole month, and we missed the finals, and, you know, we missed pretty much every big NBA headline of the summer. And, you know, the Warriors won again, obviously, signed to Marcus Cousins. They're probably going to win again next year. Uh, they won largely because J.R. Smith forgot the score and ran out the clock in Game 2 of the Finals. Uh, LeBron, obviously, which was you, what you were getting at, is now a Laker. Kawhi is north of the border in Toronto. And Carmelo 
made out like a bandit in Atlanta. Got paid what twenty five million dollars for being there a day, and now looks like he's headed to a new team. And, and you know, well, you know, he gave back two point four, but of course he's, he's generous making, of him. making two point four uh, with the, with the Rockets. I, f- I do find it interesting in regards to Melo. We'll get to LeBron in a second. In regards to Melo, I find it interesting that they add him to that roster in Houston, and the the Vegas odds actually. Got worse yeah, they got, for, yeah. for the Rockets in terms of, of winning the title. I found that uh, rather telling and rather interesting. It just yeah, speaks volumes I, of mellow, honestly. Yeah, I just wanted to throw out, I think that what the Rockets did this summer is going to have a far, far bigger impact on the Western Conference than the Warriors signing Boogie. I mean, look at what the, the Rockets did. The Rockets didn't want to go into the luxury decks. The Rockets didn't want to pay all this extra money, so they let Trevor Ariza walk. They let Luke Richard and Bamute walk, um, and like it might not seem like a big deal, but isn't that a huge key of of like what they did last year? And they yes. replaced him with with Carmelo Anthony, who like, hey, Hall of Famer, great player, but uh, not gonna go lock down Kevin Durant. Right, <laughs> like I don't want you him don't guarding so? Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know, so there, there's a there's a big difference between the player they lost and the player they got. Like it's it's just a stylistic change. Yeah, there, there's definitely been a, a shift in the Western Conference um, in terms of what happened in the off season. LeBron James ends up with the Lakers. I don't think it's going to to shake things up all that much uh, next season. But you look at what the Lakers did aside from adding LeBron James to the roster. They went out and they picked up a bunch of guys, signed them to one-year contracts, and they're setting themselves up for for next summer really making over that roster the the way that LeBron wants it to be moving forward. So do I think the Lakers are going to be a threat next year? Probably not. And to your point, Max, you said the Warriors are going to win it all again. I think we're all resigned to the fact that the Warriors are the heavy, heavy favorites to, to win it all again. But... I think going into, you know, two seasons from now, I think the Lakers all of a sudden become a major player. Yeah, and the whole idea with getting LeBron was not to win this year. I mean, it was definitely a three-year at least plan. And I brought up Kawhi going to Toronto, and I think it's, I was talking to you in the break, I think it's funny that he went through a whole year in San Antonio of sitting out and not wanting to play, and then, okay, he gets to a new, you know, spot, way different culture up there. And obviously, they just lost their head coach, who was a coach of the year candidate. And you know, now he doesn't want to play in Toronto. He's a crybaby. And yeah, the, it seems the only place he wants to play is L.A. So, would it, yeah, I be surprised know, if they figure something out and he ends up a Laker sooner rather than later? No, but that's the only place where I think you're going to get Kawhi at a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, we saw this last year. And the only reason I bring this up, we, we saw it last year with Paul George. Paul George ends up staying. But to the larger point here, this is not a, a one-and-done thing. This is not a win-now move. Like, LeBron went to Los Angeles with a very specific purpose in mind, and it's setting himself up for the rest of his life. Um, you know, he's 33 years old. He's he's maybe getting old for basketball age, but he's going to retire at 40. Like, he's got to figure something else out to do, and he's already starting that. Like, he's already got his entertainment company. He's already executive producer on a bunch of TV shows. Like, if you're trying to do what he's doing, if you're trying to, you know, become a businessman, become, you know, this mogul outside of just playing sports, who better to learn from than Magic Johnson? Like, has has there been a former athlete to do it better than Magic Johnson? 
You know, it's it's really hard to think of. And and I know Matt, Michael Jordan is probably in that conversation. But, you know, Magic, everything he's done has been successful outside of a late-night talk show. So I would want to go learn from him. And, and, yeah, so they signed JaVale McGee and Lance Stevenson this year. This year doesn't matter. They'll make the playoffs because they've got LeBron. And they'll move on, and they'll sign Kawhi Leonard, and they won't have to give up Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma or any of those guys, and they'll be a better team for it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it, but that's also down the road, like you said. And you know, and, the, and that's and that's my problem with the NBA Max is, and we we've talked about this in recent years, where you go into the season in October first, like as teams are ready to report back to camp, you can pick the four or five teams. We did it last year. We, we did it last we, year. We called and, who was going to be in, yeah. the, in the finals, like a, a, right. in Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals. Like there are only a handful of teams that are legitimate contenders. That's. In, for me, anyway, my biggest problem with the NBA, and I know some people love it, that there are like elite teams, and you can't wait to you know to get to at the end of May and early June, and you get to see them play. But why but now? It because just, you, it feels like the season just doesn't matter. It doesn't because look what the Warriors just did. Their weak spot was what the five, and when you put the death line up in, you have KD at the five. That's no longer a weakness. You know, you can score at will with that lineup that they had. And now you have DeMarcus Cousins, who is arguably one of the most dominant centers in the game of basketball. Now, the, the only yeah. intriguing thing in the NBA, for for me anyway, is that you are going to get some new blood in the East. Cleveland is not yeah. going to be Cleveland. LeBron James is gone. Boston's going to be, be healthy. Celtics, Sixers, Raptors. I mean, they, those three teams, I think, you know, have have emerged as as contenders in the East. So it'll be it'll be interesting to get a new matchup in the finals and new blood. But I, again, going into next season, I, I don't think it matters, Seth. But yeah. do you not question the DeMarcus Cousins thing a little bit? And and the only reason I bring this up is, like, he is coming off a debilitating injury. He's not going to play probably before the All-Star break. So it'll have an impact. I'm curious what kind of an impact and what kind of a player he's going to be when he comes back. Like, I don't think he's going to be DeMarcus Cousins at his peak, like, this year. Right? Like, but I, does I it matter? Like, has, I guess no, the way I look at it is, it doesn't I'm matter, not even talking no. about Demarcus Cousins. Like, let, let's put it this way: the Warriors did not get worse, and no, the Warriors no, 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 were, no. were the best team in the NBA by by a lot. Yeah. So, and and you know, you can contend that the Rockets did get worse. Um, yeah. So, I I think it's. I hate to say in August that it's a foregone conclusion. Next June, who will be the NBA champion? Because a lot can happen. But I would, I would be shocked if it was someone other than Golden State winning the title and to, to the fact that we can say that you know 9 10 months ahead of time like I don't think that's a great thing for the NBA as I said Seth I know I know some people like it the fact right. that you have you know a dynasty and an elite team personally I don't love it yeah I mean I tend to think dynasties are good for sports I, I do because I think that it makes uh like I think that it makes a villain Right, like I, I think that you need a villain and you need somebody to hate. So I think ultimately dynasties are good for sports. Is this going a little far? Like maybe, right? Like it it might be getting a little too intense. Where where this is, um, I, I mean, there's there's no equal, right? LeBron left Cleveland, and there's no equal for this team. Um, you know, is Toronto going to be better? Uh, maybe. Like I think they had to blow it up. I think they had to change something. And now instead of having Dwayne Casey and Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry. You have Kyle Lowry, a new coach, and Kawhi Leonard. You know, so I, I think that they had to make a change, and they did. I think that Boston will be a lot better, good enough to compete with the Warriors. Probably not, but a lot better. Um, the East is going to be terrible, but they're going to have three really good teams at the top of it. 
right? Like the East is going to be awful. And one of Boston, Philly, and Toronto is going to end up on the road in the first series of the playoffs because of their, because they're all in the same division. So, like, those three teams will be good, and maybe they can push it to five in the NBA Finals next year. Maybe. I mean, that's a big maybe. Um, but I don't know if you guys, as we switch gears a little bit from the NBA, um, NFL Hall of Fame induction was yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, Brian Erlacher, Terrell Owens finally got in. And then today, I saw on ESPN.com that Terrell Owens is trying out for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the CFL. Um, apparently, he still runs a 4-4-40 at the age of 40. And is he worked out for about an hour with them the other day. And I know Steve definitely had his eyes on the TV when Johnny Manziel made his debut in the CFL throwing four first-half interceptions. So let me ask you this question. Would you be more surprised by a Johnny football comeback in the CFL or a Terrell Owens comeback in the CFL? All right, so... I I couldn't go a day. I couldn't go one show without getting under Steve's skin with Johnny Manziel. T.O. is 44 years old. 44, yes. And And that's why he ran the 4-4. Right. He had to do it. Yeah. Um... I That's do not think slow. you know you know my feelings about Johnny Manziel, and I don't think he's cut out to be a, a professional quarterback. And I think we you know we saw that to some degree. I didn't watch the game, but I saw the stats, and uh, it was bad. Yeah, um, but who do I think has more of a chance of quote unquote succeeding in the CFL? I have to say Manziel for the simple fact that To is forty four. But have you seen? Have you seen To? He's a freak of nature. He is. I. Like, can can a forty four year old wide receiver stay healthy playing pro football? Like no. it's one thing to run a forty yard dash in shorts and you know right. working out and to go out and do what he needs to do to be a professional wide receiver, taking hits and you know making catches in traffic and and cutting and I I would be I would be very surprised and I know T O is a special special athlete. I would be very surprised if he was able to quote unquote succeed in the CFL. So while I don't think Johnny Manziel is a starting quarterback in the NFL or CFL, I think he has a better chance of figuring it out and turning it around and being a serviceable quarterback than T.O. has of being a serviceable wide receiver at the age of 44. I'm 42, and the thought of trying to like run, like, you know, play football, football. my God, I, I don't know how he does it. Steve, there's a reason why athletes stop playing, right? Like, there's a reason why these guys stop playing. Uh, and you look at them afterwards, and you're like, oh, that guy's still in really good shape. I bet he can go out and do it. And you ask any of them, and they're like, God, no, I'm not going back to play. Um, and T.O. is full of himself and arrogant and thinks he can. But he's like the good one luck. guy who looks better after he retired than, like, didn't let himself go. Like, he looks stronger than when he, like, there, retired. What? There are plenty of guys who retire from sports and, and look good, right, and, and don't don't let themselves go or, or look really good and look like they're in shape, and you're like, hey, maybe they can still, you know, give it a go. And you, no, like, I, I think that there's a reason. Like, like Steve said, I don't think that he would be able to stay on the field. Like, it's one thing to be healthy. It's one thing to be in a freak condition. Um but to actually be in good enough shape to take a hit, get up, and be able to stay on the field week in and week out, 
I don't think that at 44 your body is going to be able to do that. Your body's not supposed to be able to do that at 44. I think the position matters a lot, right? Like yeah. if we were talking about like a quarterback, a qu- like I was just going to say Drew Brees and Tom Brady, like who, a Brett Favre, yeah. like you know guys playing right. you know into their 40s. It's it's obviously possible, um, especially when you're that good to 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 do that at the running back position or the wide receiver position. I, I mean that. That's asking a lot. Of the question. That's asking a lot. I mean, we joke with Floyd Little. He's seventy six. We yeah. say he looks good enough to be able to, you know, run the football and pick up a few yards. But again, to do that in an actual game and keep taking hits and you know get up and I, I don't, I don't know if To can can stay healthy. And I mean, it's a, it's a cool story and he's in amazing shape. Um, I just I would be surprised if if it worked out. We should ask Floyd if he ever uh, had second thoughts. He definitely did. I mean. Just talking right, to the guy, you get that vibe but, that he definitely never wanted to give that game up. But that's what this is with Terrell Owens, right? Like, he didn't want to retire. He got cut and nobody would sign him. Like, he didn't want to stop playing football. He was forced to. So it, it feels like this is his way of, like, coming back and, you know, in a way going out on his own terms, even if it's not here, right? Even if it's in Canada. Yeah. I mean, just, it's just an interesting story. To, and the fact that he runs a four four forty still, I think, is the most... Did someone actually clock yeah, that, he or, was, or is that like no, self-proclaimed? Like like, I think there it's was a, a hand video, time. and there was, it wasn't like official. It was a hand timer, but still, that's amazing. You're moving. I'm, that that amazes me. Yeah, you got one more for us. Uh, yeah, league sources. I mean, we'll stick with football, obviously, with you know all the news surfacing with the season just getting underway. Preseason. Um, Sam Darnold has a very fair shot of winning the Jets' starting quarterback job. League sources telling Adam Schefter, "Do you go with the 21 year old?" You go with Josh McCown after what he did last year. I mean, I know that the Jets were the Jets, but he wasn't awful. And Or Teddy Bridgewater, which, you know, you just got him. And he's proved himself when he was healthy and he had a traumatic injury. And, you know, but he came back. And then you got Josh McCown, the 21-year-old rookie. And I just, I don't I'm know. I'm going with Darnold. I'm going with Darnold. I'm, I'm. I traded up for him. I picked him third overall. I'm giving him every single chance to win the job and every single chance to get reps. Like I think that's just kind of how we go in the NFL now. And um, you got to just go with him. Like Josh McCown's not your future. Teddy Bridgewater's probably not your future, uh, especially if Sam Darnold's good enough. I'm going with Darnold. It's just a question of readiness. I I mean, with any rookie, really, but. I mean, at what point do you just sit back and say, hey, do you want a 39-year-old playing quarterback or do you want a 21-year-old who's got more potential to See, grow? See, I do worry about the, you know, ruining his confidence or having him develop bad habits on the fly. I mean, the same question can be asked about the Bills and, and Josh Allen. And if you if you look at the reports, he's been the most impressive quarterback of the three in Rochester. Right. Um it's it's just kind of assumed that he's not going to be the starter to open up the year, but if he's the best in camp, then then why not? And if Darnold proves to be the best in camp, I, I think the the hesitation is you don't want to ruin a guy. You want to give him every chance to succeed. And is putting him out there day one the best for for his development and the and the best for the team? Does he give you the best chance to win? Now ultimately he may, and what well, he has to. I mean they they you know both the Jets and Bills picked a quarterback so high that. That quarterback better give them the best chance to win at some point. But day one, does he give you the best chance to win? And is it the best thing for for his progression? Um, you know, and I know. So Seth, you said Darnold throw him out there. Do you think the Bills should throw out Josh Allen day one if as he's well? The best, if he's the best quarterback, right? I mean, he's he's your future. Like 
Do you, uh, do you as a Buffalo Bill fan, do you, do you think that A.J. A. McCarron is your future quarterback? No, he's not the future quarterback, but I don't think the Bills are going to be very good this year. <laughs> and I don't think the Jets are going to be very good no. this year. So you want to do what is best for the future of the franchise. And you don't want to ruin a kid's confidence before he has a chance to... You know, to get his feet wet, to learn the system, to feel like he can succeed. Because it's one thing to say, all right, he's the best quarterback in camp. But to put him out there day one with live bullets, sometimes those guys aren't aren't ready yet. I, I think a right. lot of cases those guys aren't ready yet. So I would be for me anyway, being a Bills fan, I'm I'm skeptical about whether or not he should be the starter from day one. Throw McCarron out there until you feel like, all right, the season is, you know, officially over. You're you know, three and six, and then you throw out, you know, and say, all right, Josh yeah. Allen, you're our guy well, for the rest of the see, year. See, like, what's worse for a guy's confidence is, like, I'm sure it goes case by case, and you can take this player by player, but starting a guy and then benching him as a rookie or throwing him in when you're out of it and then the team, I think has, that's the team has no motivation to play for anything I and think all of a sudden better. you're throwing your rookie in there. I think it's better at the end. And, and Steve, I wanted to make one last point. I know we have to hit a break, but um, – if you think you're going to be bad, what what's the harm in putting him out there? Like like you know, that's that's how okay. I think of it. Like with the Jets a couple of years ago, they had Ryan Fitzpatrick in case they were a good team. They turned out to be a decent team, and it was a good thing they had him. But if you're bad, like maybe it's worth it to let a guy get 16 reps under his belt. Okay, we do have to take a timeout. We'll we'll wrap up the show. I, I have a lot I want to say on this, but we don't have time right now. So we'll take a break. We'll wrap up the show right after this. <laughs> 